Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. Welcome to another episode of Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs. I'm an alcoholic, and I am your host. Uh, just a reminder for all of our listeners, please go ahead and leave a review. Uh, Apple Podcast, uh, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, is the best way to do that. But you can also go on Podchaser. Uh, reviews are just really important because it helps pop up the podcast as relevancy for someone who might be listening to any, ep- uh, any other podcast about recovery or fitness or mental health or well-being. It'll just pop up as suggestions and you never know when one of these stories might really resonate with someone and it might help save someone's life and help prevent them from doing anything negative or just anything in between. So go ahead and please leave those ratings and reviews. Uh, They really help out the podcast. And like I said, it really helps out pop out to people who don't already know what we're doing. Uh, At this point, I want to go ahead and bring in our next guest. Our guest today is Renee someone that I'm really excited to interview, someone that's been in the Staying Fit ODAT uh, Facebook group for quite a while now, Uh, someone that we also share a mutual coaching with the same online virtual company. For anybody that doesn't know, I currently don't have any clients. However, I am a online virtual coach with Team Run Run. I am also a Team Run Run athlete. So, If you've heard any of the episodes with coach Alicia Jenkins, she is my coach. We've done a couple episodes on here with her. And this is someone that I've also seen in the uh, team run run. If I'm not mistaken and correct me if I'm wrong, Renee, but I believe that you were already in the staying fit ODAT page. And then I think I saw you in team run run, which was really, really cool. I was like, Oh, I know that name. I know that face. And then I was like, oh, cool. I'm putting that together. But if I believe you are ready in staying fit ODAT and maybe a couple other running groups together before I even realized that you were also a team run run, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you saw me on a post in team run run and I made some comment. because Oh, yeah, I it was the newsletter. That's about. what it was. Yeah, the I saw, newsletter. I yeah. saw the name because the, the double last name, which I won't say if you're not comfortable with, but the double last name. Um, I was like, Hey, you know, what are the chances there's another person with this exact name and from the, and from the same state getting a shout out. So I remember sending you a message on, uh, through messenger and was like, Hey, is this you? And when you said yes, I was like, Oh, that's super cool. But anyway, uh, we won't get too, too far ahead. That's something we'll definitely get a chance to talk about in a little while. Uh, but before we go ahead and get started, why don't you go ahead and tell, uh, tell the listeners who you are, where you're from, if you want to share what you do for a living. Okay, I'm Renee, and um, I'm originally from California, mostly. I I was in the Bay Area. I lived there from the age of five till about 26, and now I'm in Washington State, And but I've lived here since 1984, but I am now, we just sold our house, and I'm moving to Arizona in April. Oh, nice. I've actually yeah. recently had uh, two podcast guests from Arizona, uh, Henry and Ray. Uh, one of them, I believe it's Ray, is from Canada, moved out to uh, Arizona a little while ago. Henry's been out there. He does some really cool stuff. Oh, I think I've seen him. Yeah, Henry Henry Ward. He actually just yeah. did uh, this like 
really, really long treadmill run that he does for, uh, for raising money for a, a fundraiser. And he just does really, really cool stuff all the time. God just loves putting himself to the limit and to the test, which is really super cool. So if you're out in Arizona and you're looking for some running buddies, you should hit up, you should hit uh, up I'm, them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting a new community there. So it'll be yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. What's the weather like in Washington right now? It's gray and trying to rain and low 40s. So I'm yeah, in eastern like Washington and it's been, um, there was snow in January and it stayed on the ground the last two months and it's just now starting to melt. But yeah, it's nice for running, um, but I'm gonna have to start acclimating to the hot of Arizona. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you anywhere? I'm, I'm not really sure about the geography. Are you anywhere near Bellingham? Do you happen to know coach Alicia personally? Have you seen her? No, I've just, I did actually, I did listen to her podcast and I've only seen her through um, team run run. So okay. I, I lived in Tacoma, which is like two hours or three hours South of Bellingham. Okay. And nice. now I'm in Eastern Washington. So. Awesome. So why don't you go ahead? I know you told me that you had your first experience with a drink or a drug at the age of 13. So why don't you go ahead as much detail as you want to go into or however you want to share your, uh, your story about the first 12 years or so of your life leading up to that. Okay. Let's see. Um, I grew up in, I guess, a pretty chaotic family. My mom and dad divorced when I was seven and my dad was in the Navy. I didn't see We'll definitely thank him for his service for us. Sure. Well, he's not around anymore, but sorry. Yeah. So anyway, I grew up in this crazy family. I think my mom was a rageaholic. I don't know. A day didn't go by when she didn't scream and yell. And um, so we were this, my mom, we lived with my mom and I had two brothers and one sister. So there were five of us in a two bedroom apartment. The two boys were in one bedroom and the, my mom and my two sis, my sister and I were both in another bedroom. So it was very very small and yeah, she yelled every day and I was afraid of her. I was very, very, very shy and quiet and scared. Um, I think a lot was because of her rage and um, yeah, I didn't talk a lot. And I, my, um, my sister was the type that talked back. She would talk back to my mom and she would get yelled at and hit. So so when I would see that, I would say, okay, I'm not going to say anything. So I, I can be safe, but she still yelled and I don't know. So, so shy kid. I remember in, um, in, in not kindergarten, I didn't go to kindergarten, but in first grade, um, I, I, um, I had this teacher and I was so afraid of her and um, I wouldn't even like dare to go to ask her to go to the bathroom. And I remember once, like, this is really embarrassing, but I, I would just pee in my pants and not, I was too afraid to ask to go to the bathroom. And um, she would stand outside in the yard when I was going home from school. And she would say, I'm not going to eat you, but in my head, like, you know, 
I heard I'm going to eat you. So I was so afraid of her that <laughs> I, I started climbing fences and we had to wear dresses back then. And I started climbing fences and just to not go by her going home from school. Was she mean or just intimidating? No, she was joking. But to me, it wasn't a joke. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> she thought it was funny. Like, I'm not going to eat, you know, because I was so afraid of her. She just, that's what some people are like that, you know? Yeah. They prey on your weaknesses and so but it's funny because years later I wrote a letter I go do you remember me she didn't even remember me so like <laughs> <laughs> she was in my nightmares for years and she didn't even remember me so that's that's pretty much a picture of me like a, a scared shy introvert and um and then I was smart and I got A's and I got to the age 12 or 13, maybe I was 12. And I feel like I had this part of me that felt I was crazy. I don't know. Um, and I decided that I wanted to, to get drunk. And so, um, my mom had, my mom didn't drink, but I mean, we would go to a restaurant and she would have a gin and tonic and she would maybe drink a quarter of it. And she also had this thing where she would pay us a quarter to have a sip. And I don't know why, but she would pay us a quarter to sip her drink and didn't like it. Tasted awful. That's interesting. Yeah. She, it was really weird. And, um, so this one day I just decided I wanted I don't know, did I decide I wanted to get drunk? Well, I decided we had a liquor cabinet with tons, even though she didn't drink, we had tons of alcohol in this liquor cabinet. And um, I decided I was going to get drunk. And so I took, I asked a friend, of course I couldn't do it by myself. So I asked a friend to do it with me. And I took um, everything that was in there, you know, from vodka to wine to, whiskey or whatever rum I put it all in a picture oh wow <laughs> and we went into the basement and we guzzled it I don't know where I learned this but um I never saw that kind of behavior but we guzzled it and I was like yeah I got really drunk and I I went at some point I went into a blackout but things the things I remember is I remember like racing down the street um, and just, and then I was in a blackout, but I just remember running, running outside. <laughs> so I guess I like to run from an early age. Started early. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did do track in middle school. So yeah. Um, now, I never when, you, liked when you got drunk for the first time, do you remember? Cause different people have like different, uh, opinions on their first time drinking was it something where it was like did you get sick and at first were you like hey i'm never doing this again or did you immediately from the first time realize that like did you enjoy the feeling and you and you couldn't wait to try it again like what was your yeah no at first at first it was fun the running part and being free but then but then of course i got sick i remember going upstairs we had a upstairs flat and i just remember like sitting by the toilet with my head in the toilet and you know puking and I yeah I said I'm never doing this again and the friend <laughs> I did it with 
she got alcohol poisoning. Oh, wow. So her parents weren't very happy with me. Did they tell your parents? Oh, yeah, everybody knew. Okay. I mean, I was here, this good kid, straight A student is all puking out the toilet. And, and that girl's sick enough to go to the hospital. Like, yeah. There so was what was no your parents' response to, to your first time drinking at a young age? Oh, uh, she was probably just worried about me. I don't really remember. I didn't like get in trouble. Okay. Yeah. I just remembered it was a bad scene. I was never going to do it again. And uh, yeah. And so I didn't drink again until I was 17. And um, when I turned 17, all of a sudden I realized that my mom was smaller than me. And I, I remember this one time when she was yelling at me and I just stood up to her and I yelled back and I threatened her like, you know, I just in my demeanor, I threatened her like, I might hit you, you know, if you don't stop yelling at me. And um, it's the first time I ever like had stood up to her and just realized I didn't need to be afraid of her because I was bigger than her and she couldn't hurt me. And she never did hurt me, but I always had this with the yelling, I always had this fear she was going to hurt me. And so anyway, I turned 17 and I became really rebellious. I um, And I think I had depression. I think I was chronically depressed. And back then nobody said anything, nobody did anything. I remember when I was five, my mom used to drag me to psychologists and psychiatrists because you know I wet the bed, I did this, I didn't talk. So it was always me, I was the problem, not the family. And so. So I always, so then I, um, yeah, I got depressed when I was 17. It's my last year in high school. And I'd always done good in school. I never missed a day of class, but when I turned 17, I started skipping class. And in March of 1976, I <laughs> ran away from home at the age of 17. <laughs> And of course, I took another friend with me. I said, you want to go with me? And we, <laughs> we ran away from the Bay Area to Yosemite. We took a bus and <laughs> we were wandering around and we found two guys. We invited them up to our hotel room and we got a bottle of wine and we partied. And, um, and then the next day we were at Yosemite and... Um, we stayed in a tent, it's March, we stayed in a tent in the snow. And I decided I wanna go home, but she didn't wanna go home. So I called my mom and I went home and, um, and she stayed there, um, which was really weird. But anyway, that's, that was the start of like my being depressed. And then I started drinking a lot at that point. I, I, um, I drank, my mom was dating a pharmaceutical salesman and he would have lots of pharmaceuticals and I would, um, I would take the PDR, um, you know, the, you know what that is, the PDR? No, I don't. Um, it's the pharmaceutical like directory. It tells you what the drugs do. Okay. And so I would, I would take certain drugs. I would look them up and see um, what they did. And if they did something like I would see how many I would have to take. And I would take those. So I got to ask then when you actually have, cause for some people, uh, you know, it's just a matter of like when they're getting introduced to, to drugs and, and even pills and whatnot, it's, 
they don't necessarily know what to expect, what it's going to feel. It's just more so, okay, this is what I have in front of me. I'm just going to take it and we'll see what happens. But when you actually have the ability to look at something and find out to research what it's going to do to you, what are you looking for? Are you <laughs> what like, are you looking for something that is going to get you all hyped up and going? Are you looking for something that's going to calm you down? Like when you're, when you're mm-hmm. looking for that, what, what is the plan there? No, my, when I, for me, when I started drinking and drunk, drugging, a big part of it was self-destruction. Um, I think I wanted to, um, a part of me wanted to, it was more suicidal, like, oh no, or, or maybe a call for help, you know, maybe I didn't exactly want to die, but I wanted to do something really loud and crazy to get attention. Um, I wanted a lot of attention at that point in my life. And, but I also hated myself. And I think I was looking for a way to hurt myself. I definitely was looking for a way to hurt myself. Um, I had a good experience when I was seven. Um, I had ear surgery and I had, I was in the hospital and that was like the best week of my young life. The nurses were nice to me and um, they would give me baths and carry me and give me attention. And when I got out, I got a lollipop. <laughs> so were you so, maybe subconsciously thinking like if you end up in the hospital yeah, again, maybe you'll, yeah, you'll get that, that treatment exactly. and every, everyone will love you and care for you. Yes, and yes. so you were, you were just kind of looking for like some, some love and attention and, yes, and comfort. Yes. Exactly. That's, that's what it was. And I, um, I had my first, boyfriend when I was 17 but here we are my mom had always like growing up it's like her thing was get married get a good husband get a good man get married have kids and life will be wonderful because that's what she I don't know I guess that's what she wanted and it didn't work out for her but here I was smart and here I am I got to decide on colleges and I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what to do and I had a boyfriend who was going to UC Berkeley, but he didn't really want me to go with him. He basically said, you know, this will probably be the end of our relationship. So I went to UC Davis, but I, I followed the same line of courses that he took because I didn't know what to do. And um, they ended up being too hard for me. I lasted a year, but th- during that year, I lived in a dorm and I started doing the keggers, you know, I would go to those parties in the dorm and, and um, I remember I would like drink seven beers in an hour and, and just, you know, get drunk. Were you I doing keg to- stands? What's that? It's kind of like a, where you kind of like throw your hands on the top of the keg and someone like <laughs> no. picks your feet up and you're pretty much upside down and chugging. No, I don't think we did that back then. I just would drink the beers, (laughs) glass after glass, you know, solo cup after solo cup or whatever. And um, I remember this one time I was in UC Davis. It was 90 minutes away from home by car. And I decided I got drunk and I decided I wanted to go home. So like it's nighttime. I get on my bike and I start bicycling home (laughs) 
<laughs> on this 90 minute drive by car, right? You know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I get to, there's bridges to cross um, when you go from there to the Bay Area. And I got to my first bridge and it was foggy and this couple picked me up and they took me across the bridge and let me off. So then I'm in, I think it was like an Antioch and I'm on the freeway with my bicycle and the cops picked me up. It's probably the only time I ever got picked up by the cops. They took me to the station. They call my mom. My mom comes get gets me. But that's the kind of stuff I did. I, I would think of doing something. I would feel a certain way and I would act on it. I, and no, no repercussions for that as, uh, as far as legal, like no underage drinking, no, public no, drunkenness. I no, I didn't get in trouble. Because I mean, just, today, to even yeah. today, you'd probably, you could have got charged three times. You would have got underage drinking. You could have got public drunkenness. And then even just being on a bike while you're intoxicated. I mean, yeah, they could have hit you with a DUI true. as well. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't like that back then. This is 1976. So they just felt sorry for me. Which <laughs> is think. also a time where you could probably safely get into a stranger's car and not have to worry Yeah, about, and I yeah. think about that. I think about all the friggin' risky behaviors that I did um, in my, uh, I only lasted a year at college. And then in my, my 20s, um, early 20s I started doing I had this girlfriend and we started doing coke and acid and um I remember she was five years younger than me so I was 19 and she was 14 and I had a car and um, we took some acid and I let her drive my car and we're both on acid and like and we're driving and she's driving on the wrong side of the road and like and I remember this other time I went to San Francisco with a bunch of ladies and we went to a bar and I was the driver, seven women in this big Plymouth Fury and we're driving back over the Bay Area Bridge. I was in a blackout and all of a sudden I come to out of the blackout. I'm on the Bay Area Bridge with these seven women in my car and I'm going, oh my God, <laughs> what have I done? Like, I think of all those risky behaviors. I mean, I could have died a million times. You know, a lot of us say that like, just yeah, for how, sure. how did and, and your life and putting other people's lives like yeah. not necessarily you but like we we as a whole we we tend to do that and it's like so many of those scenarios where it's like you know letting an acid tripping 14 year old drive or being in a car <laughs> with with seven people while you're driving across a bridge i mean when we think back any of these scenarios it's like man we could have we could have been dead we could have hurt somebody else and you know even if it's not somebody else and or somebody in your car you know especially like you know, back to the to the young girl driving on the wrong side of the road could have just hit somebody else, either driving yeah. or walking or riding their bike. And yeah, so, I mean, it could have been anything could have happened. So, like, all I, I regularly think back all the time and it's like, man, I'm just so thankful that I didn't hurt myself and especially that I didn't hurt others, because if I hurt myself doing something stupid, it sucks. But, you know, that's yeah. that's kind of on me. You know, you, we'll never forgive ourselves if we hurt right. somebody else in those scenarios. And you've gone to those meetings where those people have been where they did. And it's like, wow, that could have been me. And I'm just so grateful <laughs> that, yeah, I never hurt anybody, at least physically. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so I did so, a lot of coke and acid and my early 20s um i was like 
I've always been kind of like, there was the good Renee and the bad Renee all throughout kind of my life. And like I said, I like, I acted on how I felt. So when I was the bad Renee, I would do lots of bad and crazy things. And when the good Renee, there was the good Renee. So back and forth throughout um, my early twenties and my later twenties, I would drink and drug. And then I would feel really guilty and bad. And I would decide to clean up my act and I would, um, go to church and um, stop drinking. And I actually got um, baptized three times in my life because of this, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go to church and now I'm going to get baptized. And, and um, yeah, so I did that back and forth. I was in and out of therapy. Um, I was one of those persons that there's a part of me that always wanted to be better, to better myself. Um, and then there's this part of me that I thought I was crazy and um, just crazy. So if I'm crazy, I got to act crazy. And I had, I was one of those persons who had lots of health, self-help books and, you know, I would read them. I'd read a self-help book, but would I ever take action? It's like, oh no, that sounds good. Okay. Next self-help book. <laughs> and um, so I did a lot of that therapy, self-help, and then back and forth, back and forth. And then when I was 26, I got married in this, to this guy in California. We met at work at AT&T. And basically, I think I got married because I was doing what I'd been taught. And I wanted to get away from my mom, so I got married. And I moved to Washington from California. He's the one who dragged me up here. Um, I probably never would have come up here other than that and I got married and then I had a baby so I had the house the husband the baby the nice neighborhood the I had the things that I thought I wanted and I was miserable when I had my baby I thought he I thought when he arrived that I would instantly love him and I didn't, that was a shock to me. This, I had this baby and I was miserable. I didn't, I didn't like love him. It took me like six months maybe to like bond to him. And, but here I was, I'd been working. I was 30 years old and I'd been working for 10 years. And, and all of a sudden I'm in this neighborhood where I don't know anybody and I have a baby and I'm home alone all day long with this baby and my life is totally 180 and I was not I probably should have never had a kid I was not but I I don't know I did so anyway what would happen is I it was miserable so I would wake up and be the mom and then during I would look forward to his naps because at nap time at his nap times I would drink and then and I remember that's, I started like, and then after he went to sleep at night, I would drink. I had, what would hide beers in behind the bed in the spare room. And then, yeah, so I started drinking. That was a period of time I really started drinking. And, um, and Were then- Were you hiding them because was your husband at the time, was he, was he questioning how much you drank or you just didn't want him to know you were drinking? Well, I knew it was wrong. I mean, okay. I knew my, my behavior was 
was wrong. I mean, he he's he's straight. He never he he wasn't into getting drunk. He'd have a beer, right? But he was a normie. He's straight, and I just knew it was wrong. So I started hiding him so I could, you know, drink more. And <laughs> yeah, and and at this point, I went. I'd gone to California, and I had a brother, or I have a brother that's thirteen years older than me. And when I went down there, he came to me and he uh, he apologized for abusing me as a kid. And I'm like, I had totally forgotten about that part. And it was it was weird. Like all of a sudden, I started having flashbacks. And so on top of not being miserable, I'm all of a sudden faced with this memories coming back from my past. And so I decided to go into therapy because I was just, I was miserable and I was drinking and I was not happy. So I go into therapy and, um, and I'm suicidal at this point. Um, I was kind of the same thing back to where I was 17. I was drinking and I had, I, I was on antidepressants. I remember once I, I took a bottle a Prozac, there were a hundred pills in it. So I took, I drank and I took these hundred pills of Prozac and I was sick, but I never had to go to the hospital. I like, I have this really tough constitution. It was really weird. And, um, but I was sick for a couple of days. Anyway, I was in therapy and trying to work things out and I got to this point, I never told her about my drinking for a long time. Since I was suicidal, she told me I could call her anytime I was feeling before, you know, before doing anything drastic to call her and talk about it. But in order to call her, I need to get drunk because I'm really afraid of making phone calls and reaching out and asking for help. That's, you know, like a lot of us, that's not my thing. I'm very independent and I was just afraid to call her. So I drink for courage to call her. And I did this for a while, but she didn't know that I was drunk when I called her. And I don't know, one day I finally told her, I go, you know what? I'm drinking in order to call you. And she goes, oh. And then best thing that ever happened to me, she, she said, you know what? You should try AA. I'm like, oh, what's that? <laughs> and it was weird because I didn't think I was an alcoholic. Sure, I was drinking to self-destruct, but that didn't make me an alcoholic. And, um, but she goes, I know you. She goes, I know you won't talk, but you have to talk. You have to talk if you go. I said, and I, the good thing was I really trusted her. And, and um, so I did it. I went. And how old were you? I was 32. Okay. My son was two years old at this time. And so I go to my first AA meeting and I'm so scared. I am so friggin' scared. And I go in and, um, but I did what she said. I, I spoke out loud. I said my name and I talked maybe for 20 or 30 seconds. And and then for a while when I would do this and I'd go home and I thought, I thought I was going to die this. I, I had like this black cloud and I thought just 
that exposure of saying who I was and saying that I was an alcoholic and uh, and reveal just opening my being vulnerable, you know, being vulnerable and opening up myself in a meeting like that. I would come home from those meetings and I'd lie in bed and I would feel like my I was going to explode or um, I was going to fall apart or something really that impending doom. I felt like something really awful was going to happen because I was being vulnerable. I was so scared. <laughs> and um, I remember this woman reached out to me. She goes, I'm going to be your sponsor because I know you're not going to ask for one. <laughs> so she was my sponsor. And um, that I got sober in Redmond, Washington. And, and it was, and I, I didn't think I was an alcoholic, but um, I had this sponsor and she had bunches, uh, a lot of sponsees under her. And so we became this community of women, like um, a family and with her and my sisters, you know, my sister AAs and like, I could go over her house on Sunday. We'd all get in her bed and read the Sunday paper. And so I built this community of people and um, that loneliness went away. And I had friends, you know, the stay at home, home mom was developing friendships. And, um, and that was really, really valuable to me. And so I stayed sober for almost five years. Um, at, in that five years, were you a, uh... Were you working a program too? Were you were you going through the steps and all of that stuff? It, it was really weird. In Redmond, they didn't do it like they did when I moved to Tacoma. They um, the, you would just we didn't read the book. We didn't go through the steps. I remember I did the fourth step using like the Hazelden. You know what the Hazelden is? No. Oh well, there's this Hazelton guide that ask you questions and you do the fourth step and not like in the big book and um so I did the fourth step using this Hazelden guide Hazelden some kind of um recovery place back east or something um so I did do that but I didn't really work a program but I did you know keep in contact with my sponsor I went to meetings and I shared and um the sharing was really good for me because I'd been somebody who'd never never, never talked. And what I've learned for me in AA, the best thing that it's done for me, it was like a lab for me to learn who I was because I started speaking out loud and hearing myself and I started learning who I was. And um, it was an amazing process just because to open myself up, to be vulnerable, to say things, and the awesome thing about AA meetings is nobody can talk back. And I've always been this person who, um, like, I have relationships that are like 80 20. Um, like with my ex, he spoke 80% of the time, I spoke 20% of the time. That's what my relationships were always like. I never felt like I had the power or ability to. If somebody started talking, they'd talk right over me. And I just, I couldn't butt in. I just felt like, I, I couldn't and I didn't have the ability that um, I just didn't know how to do it and I just would let people talk because I would just give up and I was afraid I was afraid to show people who I was you know to state my opinion so in AA I started learning to speak and it's the best thing that ever happened to me because you know when I started I would talk for 20-30 seconds and and now 
You know, I, I can go to a meeting and I can just talk and not worry about what I'm going to say or how long it's going to take. And, you know, I just like everybody else, I can share for five or 10 minutes. And, and I've even, you know, <laughs> this shy girl who would never, ever talk. She, I've, I think I've maybe four or five times I've been asked to be a speaker and I've done it. And each time it gets less and less scary and it's just, it's so awesome that, you know, I was able to, to find out who I was in AA. It's the best thing. And um, so I was sober those five years and then I moved. Right. And then like a lot of people, I go to AA and they just don't do it the same. <laughs> it was different. Meetings went from an hour and a half to an hour and they just, it was probably an excuse. They were just different. So so I quit going to meetings and eventually I started drinking, not a lot, but a little. And when I turned 40, I had like a midlife crisis and um, I decided I want to go back to college. So I went back to college at the age of 40. Um, and since I already had two degrees, all my electives transferred. So I went back to get a degree in music performance. I play clarinet and um, it was the best three years of my life. I, I didn't have to take electives. They were all music classes, music theory, um, band, orchestra, chamber music, conducting theory. I loved it. And so I'm the kind of person when I'm, when I'm feeling good and doing well, I don't drink. I drink more for self-destruction and when I feel bad. So for those three years, I didn't drink. And at, then all, at all or just not? At not all, because I just didn't. I, I um I remember seeing all the kids, young kids around me, the 18-year-olds. I was like their mascot, but I didn't drink. And then I started when I graduated, I started drinking again. So I finally came back to AA in 2001. But then you know, I didn't my sober dates 2004. So it was harder the second time around. I'd um I'd get 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 30 days, 60 days. I would go to meetings and um, and I'd get mad. And so I would leave the meeting and I would drink because I was mad at the meeting. <laughs> it's like, I'm mad at you, I'm going to hurt me. <laughs> and so I did that and then um, for a while and um, then in 2004, July, I had this AA friend and we had this other friend and she was, she was, um, she was, she was having difficulty staying sober and she would drink. And I remember we went to her house and she had been drinking and taking drugs and we had to call the ambulance. She had OD'd and while the, the ambulance took her away and then me and the, my friend went through her house and we were pouring out her alcohol and trying to dump out her drugs. And then the guy I was with, he had some Ativan and Xanax in his hand and he puts it in his mouth. And, and then I go, well, I had shown them to him and he took them and put them in his mouth. And I go, hey, I found those. 
So he takes them out of his mouth and gives them to me and I took them. I don't know why I wasn't, I have no idea why I did this. It's the weirdest thing. I wasn't, this is a time when I wasn't even trying to be self-destructive or anything, just had no thought. So two Xanax and two, two Ativan. <laughs> and the next, I drive home. I'm sitting outside in the backyard with my husband on these lawn chairs and I pass out and apparently I OD because next thing you know, I'm in the hospital and my son tells me this, he's 34. He tells, he'll, I don't, I don't know. This is something that I feel so bad for because it really struck him and really made, really affected him because he found, his dad told him to go upstairs to his room. They put me in the bed and his dad went after this guy who'd given me those pills, like it's his fault, right? <laughs> but he's gonna go beat him up or whatever, I don't know. But my son luckily did not listen to his dad. He came downstairs, he found me not breathing and he had to call 911. And um, so they took me to the hospital and um, yeah, so I lived and, um, but that's just, after that, like, I started realizing, cause I always had a hard time calling myself an alcoholic, but after that I realized it didn't matter what label I called myself. It didn't matter if I was an alcoholic or not. The thing was, I just could not drink or drug because it only takes one time. One time to do something stupid and I've done lots of stupid things and it takes one time to die. And I realized at that point, I used to wanna die, but I didn't wanna die anymore. So that really scared me. So I started taking AA seriously and um, yeah, and I started um, working more of a program and, um, and then I started getting some sobriety. And now that, that was July, 2004. In September, I went to treatment just cause I wanted to get away and I needed to decide whether I was gonna divorce my ex or not. And I just needed space, so I went to treatment. And then I came out and I decided to leave him and just things got better after that. And now I have 17 and a half years. And um, I, in about 14 years ago, I got the sponsor and she, she did um, AA in the book, we, we started reading the book together and doing the steps as we got to them. And that was really, really useful. This, this time I did the fourth step with all the columns and I found out things about myself that I thought, I, I thought I knew everything there was to know about myself because you know, I'd been in and out of therapy, but I found out things like that I was selfish and I was like, no way that I'm a manipulator, no way. And so, it was really eye-opening and um, yeah. And then I did my list of amends. I started making amends to my son. It's still, still making amends to him because I went like, when he was in college, I went like maybe three or four years not talking to him. And we talk every day now and he's become a real good friend. And I mean, you know, as much as a son can be a friend, um, he's high maintenance and difficult, but I'm doing my daily, my my amends my living amends to him and um i've had a really good life because just just day after day 
I, I used to just feel really dark. And at some point between now and 17 years ago, I don't feel that darkness anymore. I don't feel that need to be crazy. I feel like I've grown up. I feel like um, I'm responsible and I just, I don't know. I, I've changed so much yet become myself more. So it's been quite the journey. Um, I met my new husband in AA and we got married 12 years ago. And it's just, it's awesome to be married to somebody in AA. Um, how much, <clears throat> how much time did you each have when you met? So he, he's six months ahead of me. Okay. So I saw him in meetings when we were both, he was newly sober. I, he, he had no, he had no teeth. He was a meth addict. He had no teeth and long hair and, um, we would sit on the couch next to each other and, and then um, one day somebody told me that he was interested in me and I'm like, I waited and waited for him to ask me out and he didn't. And then finally, one day I asked him out to coffee and then we started dating. And then, then I said, how come you never asked me? And he goes, well, I was waiting to have a year sober for you to have a year sober before oh, I asked you out okay. because that's what he'd been told, right? Yeah. They yeah. they still tell they they still say to do that. Yeah, no, no, it was great. So he waited for me to have a year sober, and so he had um, he had a year and a half sober at that time. Yeah, but now he has teeth, and um... <laughs> <laughs> now he has teeth. Now he has teeth. Eighteen years and a wife. Yeah, and <laughs> he was he was homeless. He came to AA with. Um, a stolen truck, two Safeway bags, and a tanning bed. <laughs> and a desire. And a desire. And now we have, we just bought this new home in Arizona. We got motorcycles. We got toys. We got a good life. It's it's amazing. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Um, I did want to go back to ask real quick. So that, that, First was, did you say the overdose was in July and then you sobered July up in of 2004 and then you sobered up in September. Okay. Yeah. So there was about, about two months of, you know, enough is enough and, and figuring yeah, out the plan trying to, to get figure back it out. Yeah. And then I also want to ask, so that three years in between from 2001 to 2004, you know, the 30 days, 60 days, 90 yeah. days here and there. Yeah. Can you thinking back now with all of your years and experience can you think back to what you were doing or what you were not doing that was causing you to to go in and out like that and and get multiple months but not be able to to really gain that traction i wasn't admitting to my innermost self that i had a problem and i was because of my experience before with my first sobriety i was seeing aa more as a social thing more as a place for me to find friends and um and that's that was holding me back because i needed to admit to my innermost self that i did have a problem and i could never ever ever drink again and i did not want to do that i was reserving the right that someday i would drink again right yeah that makes a lot of sense and the reason i ask those questions too is because you know a lot of times i think that we we have listeners that are hearing your story 
and you know they might have you know somewhere between that 30 and 90 days and they might be thinking like hey i'm okay i can go out or you know they might be they might be identifying with some of those same situations and you know i like for them to be able to hear oh well you know i'm going through that same thing that renee was going through at that point and it didn't work for her either and you know she had to realize this or that and so that's why, like, I always try and ask some of those questions, especially when you're having that few years of, you know, 30, 30, like those are, those are always the most, uh, I don't know if fascinating is the right word, but you know, you'll have some people, I mean, like on my end to like, okay. to be able to ask the questions because you'll have, um, you have a lot of people who kind of go out kind of like your first time where you, where you left and went back out where it's just like you know, five years uh, or so yeah. of just not doing anything. Maybe they're going back out and maybe it's someone who's partying really hard and they're going back out yeah. and they're drinking and they're drugging. They're saying, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an addict. I'm completely fine. And, and, you know, things are unraveling, but then you have those people who like yourself has this spin where it's, it's just collecting a few months at a time and then not, and then back. And it's like, so, you know, clearly it shows for that entire three years that, you knew what you had to do. You knew what you wanted to do. It's just yeah. things weren't clicking for you yet. And you had to get right. going. And I think I wasn't taking responsibility. I wanted people to reach out to me. Um, and when they didn't, I would get mad. And I learned that I had to do the work. I couldn't expect somebody to pull me out and help me along. I had to do it. But I really I think you just hit the nail on the head there. You had to do the work. Yeah, you I had to, to stop waiting on someone else to just yes. give you the answer. I wanted to be rescued, please. Can't you see I'm dying here? Why she wanted she, me? she wanted to be catered at the hospital bed and she wanted yes. she wanted it all yes. done for her. Exactly. Un unfortunately, this time, this time you were going to have to get up. You were going to have to bathe yourself. You were going to have to heal yourself. And yeah, you can you can get help. But at the end of the day, it's you that has to do it. And right. I think that's that's what you finally realized. And I love yeah. that, too, because, you know, there are, there are a lot of people who, when, when they're in recovery and they have long time recovery, there's just, there's some people, and this is at least just my opinion. There's some people that you look at them or, you know, just the way, maybe the way they talk or something like that, even on their like private Facebook page on, or um, on their like main Facebook page, just to, to Joe public. It's like, man, if we weren't in a recovery group together, nothing, nothing about you would ever make me think that like, if I walked by you in public or I ran into you in a trail that you're in recovery, just because you almost like seem so normal and, and you know what? And then there's some people who it's like, you know, like not even in a bad way, but they're just like, oh man, I could tell that person's in recovery. Like there's just something about their personality yeah. that it almost tells you. And that's not really a bad thing. It just depends on what yeah. kind of personality you are. But the reason I brought that up is because I think you are one of those people who, if I didn't know you were in recovery, if you weren't in the staying fit ODAT page and it wasn't something that I knew, like I would, I would have never known because you've been sober for so long, you are working your program and there's just like, you know, it's, uh, I, there's just something about you where it's like, I, I would, I would never know. I would just think that you're just like this regular mom who just loves to go out and run and get in her miles and and test yeah. herself to goals. But then also too, which we're about to get into now with the stuff that you do and the mileage that you put in and the training you go through and, and your results speak for themselves as well. Then it really doesn't surprise me that you're in recovery because I mean, shit, if you're, if you're 
crazy enough to to go through all that stuff you went through and and then you know have that self-power to go ahead and put yourself into recovery and to dive right in like that eventually you know it doesn't surprise me that you can go out and do what you can do on the trails and getting those miles in too because it's it's a different kind of uh pain and suffering but this time for the positive you're completely exactly. swinging the pendulum the other way all that energy I, I put into being crazy now i put into running and else <laughs> which abs- absolutely and uh you know it's we, and we as recovering addicts we come in all shapes and sizes and colors and genders and mm-hmm. and we just we just come from so many different situations and and i love that too because you know, even you and I, we're, we're just completely different. We don't look the same. We're not even, I mean, we couldn't be further apart as far as like where we were born and raised on the countries. Like Mm -hmm. you're right next to the Pacific ocean. I'm right next to the Atlantic ocean. It's like, but here we are, we're talking about one thing in common. Well, two things in common that, that we both love. We love recovery and we love running and and it brings us together. Uh, So with that, I definitely want to jump into uh, your, your fitness side part of this podcast episode, which for you is clearly running. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you're a member of the team run, run training group, which are you, are you still a team run, run? Yes. I still have my same coach. Who's your coach? Frank Fisher. He's awesome. Okay. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've heard his name and maybe I'm just not seeing posts when he's putting them out there. He doesn't, he's not very visible. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've seen any posts from him in the team run, run training group either. Um, but definitely shout out Frank as, as Renee says, uh, she says you're awesome. And, and clearly he must be doing something right because you're out there and you're kicking ass, you're racking up miles and, uh, just doing unbelievable stuff. Why don't, so why don't you tell us about your running career? When did it start for you? Well, like I mentioned before, I did run track in middle school. I did mostly did like the 440 relay. So I was always short distance and fast. I was into that. And then I tried to run in high school, but I didn't. And then in the 80s, in my, I guess I was in my 20s, in the the 80s, there was that running craze. And um, I saw a race in Falmouth and I said, oh, I want to run. So I started running in the 80s. And I started doing races and I did that for two years. Then I had, um, I got pregnant, had my son and I didn't run again. And then in 2017, um, this, like I said, I play clarinet and I play it in this community band and this guy in the community band that's older than me started running for the first time in his life and it reminded me of how much I like to run and I've been thinking about it and so I took this running workshop from the local um, shoe store and six weeks I could only run a walk run walk run a block run a block walk a block (laughs) and by the end of the course I was able to run a mile and from there, I just, I started, I kind of put together my own plan by Googling and stuff and, but I didn't feel like I was improving and I was, I wanted to, like, I'm just always into improvement, right? Faster, better, yeah. <laughs> longer, yeah. whatever. So I got a coach, I got an online coach, but they were, um, they were in California and I got injured. I got shin splints and they didn't know what to do with me. So I was frustrated. It's hard not running when you want to run when it's like your everyday thing. And so I was off for six weeks. So then 
I was looking for a local coach and I found Frank. When you got um, your shin splints, was it a stress fracture? Or were you just letting them heal up? No, it wasn't a stress fracture. It was, um, I guess it was just, it hurt to run. So I couldn't run. Um, so, and I, so I started doing like the elliptical at the Y, but I hated that. <laughs> I like running. So anyway, I found Frank and um, he was in Federal Way and I was in Tacoma. So it was really cool. Even though he was an online coach, he was close by. So he had he and his wife owned this Pilates shop and he had me come to Federal Way and he um, looked at my gait and how I run. So he got to see me in person, which was really cool. And, um, and he even had a meetup. So, so for a while, um, I could go to a track and he would have track workouts with his athletes, which was really cool. Um, and he just put together this schedule for me. And I don't know, I really, I really feel like I've gotten faster and stronger. Oh, and plus, you know, they had the Pilates and when the pandemic hit, they started doing Pilates on Zoom. So I've been doing Pilates for two years, like four or five times a week. So like I've gotten really doing the strength training portion. You think that's helped and, your running? Oh, it's totally helped my running and it helps for, I think, injuries. Um, you know, I just, uh, just all around getting stronger, my core, I really think it's helped and it just, it feels good. And um, yeah, so I just follow his program. And then pandemic, there were no races and I like to do races. And so the only races available were trail races. So he got me into trail racing, which was, I really love. And so, yeah, I started doing those and I've done, <laughs> when I was in the eighties, I, I did a half marathon. And I said, I'm never doing one of those again. And now I've done, th <laughs> now I've done three of them. I love them. Like it just, you know, you need to have the, the base. What's your favorite distance? Um, I used to like five K's, but I don't anymore. I really like the trail races and I like, um, just any trail race, but the longer I like, I I'm asking them to do longer stuff. Cause the longest I've done is the half marathon. I really enjoyed the half marathons. I've enjoyed the 10, five miles, the nine miles, 10 miles. It's cool that they're like, not always a set distance. So a half just, marathon is your longest distance so far? Yeah. And now I signed up for a 25K, which is 15 miles. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that because I told him I want to do longer. That's a nice, that's a nice uh, way to work your way into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited. I really like trail racing because when I do a 5K on the road, it's I feel competitive. But when I do a trail race, it's just me against the trail, right? It, there's not that feeling of competing. It just, I just feel more relaxed. It's nice. Sometimes I love five K's, but sometimes I hate them because yeah. some people, you know, if you're not like really, really, really into running and you're just like the casual runner, which there's nothing wrong with, but if you're just like the casual runner who just goes out and does a few miles here and there and yeah. you sign up for your traditional you know, 5k once a year to run with some people or whatever the case may be. People think, oh, 5k. 
that's the easiest distance. It's the shortest <laughs> race distance. It's this and that. But, and I'm sure you know this too, when you're, when you're training or when you take running really, really seriously, a 5K is just as, if not, can be more painful than like yes. a marathon. Because the whole point is that for a 5K, it's pretty much as hard as you can go from beginning to end for that 3.1 miles. Yeah. So, if you train for and or even if you run a 5k properly, I mean, yeah, it's it's the shortest distance and you might only be out there for anywhere between, you know, 15 and 35 minutes. I'll put a big window out there depending on your fitness level. But either way, whether you're the person who can run a 15 minute 5k or giving all your effort is a 35 minute 5k, it doesn't matter because we should both feel the same at the end of that we should both yeah. be in a lot of pain and like it's it's just it's a different kind of pain it's just like i'm sure you remember as a sprinter too like when you're running like quarter miles or a mile it's just like it's everything you got for those few seconds or few minutes and it's it's a different kind of hurt if yeah you're i like it that to serious. do a 5k to like test how much faster i've gotten and yes. you know when i first started with frank i ran like a 32 33 minute 5k and then my last my best 5k was a 26 31 nice. so i got quite a bit faster so then i know i've been getting more fit so i signed up to do this 5k santa run and i was so looking forward to it and i trained and then that day ended up being windy and rainy and of course i did not i went two minutes slower and i was really mad because the only reason i signed up for it was to see you know to get a PR basically see how fast I could go and that that really made me mad we love chasing so, our PRs yeah so the next one I'm doing is going to be in good weather if possible <laughs> gotta get uh, out in Arizona you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to get all kinds of nice warm weather yeah but first I'm gonna have to get acclimated yeah it's a different kind of it's that, hot that he, there. Yeah. But I've, I've heard too, cause I mean, I've never been there, but compared to the humidity that we have to deal with on the East coast, I heard it's not as uh, bad. Like once you get over a hundred degrees, it's, it's like yeah. hot is hot, but you know, right. I've been told by quite a few people who have been like back and forth that it's like, man, I'd rather run in 90 degree dry Arizona heat than run in like 80 degree uh, humidity in like the East coast. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So what is, uh, we know your longest distance. What is your proudest or what you personally feel is your most accomplished race moment race? Like if it's one race or just a, a one specific training run, like what is your, what is your proudest running moment? Hmm. Well, I, um, I think my, Last year when I did this half marathon, everything clicked and it just went to went to plan, you know, when things go to plan and I was able to hold back till the end and that was really cool. Um, I'm just really starting to like yesterday I went on a run and I loved it. it we, I did a Kenyan fartlek and you run one minute and you recover one minute and run one minute. And those are a lot easier for me. I love, you know, speed. So to be able to speed and rest and speed and rest is kind of my thing. And, and so I ran it on a rolling hill and 
I'm, I'm getting stronger. And I love that feeling knowing that I'm getting stronger. Cause I used to like run up a hill and I was like, Oh, this hill's never going to end. And now I'm like dancing up the hill and I'm like, steady even pace I'm like wow I can handle this hill and so that's been really fun lately to feel myself getting stronger fart licks can be a lot of fun I love fart licks yeah Yeah. well you know uh I'm sure you know a a little bit of trivia for you do you know what that what that word means and where it comes from it's speed play and it's from one of those Scandinavian countries Sweden Uh, Sweden yeah yeah but yes, it yeah. does. It does mean speed play. It's a, it's, it's fun too. Like, uh, when I first started doing them, even before I had a coach or anything, just, a a buddy of mine who ran, he was like, telling me, he's like, you gotta, you gotta add in some speed work, try doing some fart licks. And I was like, you know, what the hell is that? And he's like, <laughs> it's just pretty much, he's like the easy way to explain it to you is it's just random speed runs. And, uh, he's like a good way to do it too, to get started. He said, don't put any thought into it. He said, just go out there and, you know, if you're running in a neighborhood, he said, uh, just run. Hold on one second. Sorry. The, uh, this, this little guy needs. Yeah. Second here. Sorry. All right. Sorry, the uh, the the little guy demanded demanded uh, a, a TV change there. So um, but yeah, he told me to get out there and he's like, just run in like a neighborhood. And he's like, when you when you jog, jog until you get to a stop sign. And then once you get to mm-hmm. a stop sign, sprint until you get to like the next quarter, everything you got. And he said, then jog until you hit a traffic light and then sprint because then you're not you're not going to be thinking about how long you're running or how long you're recovering. It's just like throwing in some random, like keep shocking the body and keep getting it going. And I was like, all right, cool. And it, it was, it was fun doing those a couple of times. And, you know, I was, it, it was just exciting to just get out there and try that for the first time. I think that might've been one of my very first, like ever, like actual speed workouts before that, uh-huh. it was just go out and do a few miles and uh-huh. whatnot, but it was good times. So what is, what is one thing that you've learned most from having a run coach, something that maybe you didn't know about your own running that you were able to learn through having Frank? Um, I think that the biggest thing I've learned is that I need the, the recovery um, and just when when I would in the 80s when I would run I would just go out and run and I think I would just run full speed but I've learned that most of my running has to be easy and that's really hard it was hard in the beginning um because I I so look forward to like Wednesdays and Saturdays because Wednesdays like my hard workout and Saturdays my long workout and I love both of those plus I get more stats out of it and I'm a stat freak I come home from running I download my data I have my Excel spreadsheets I just ah it's like the the next best part of running and so when I just have easy running the stats are more boring (laughs) so it was really hard to have so many days of easy um but I found I, especially being an older runner, I really need that. And um, so it leads to less 
injury. As much as I want to do hard workouts every day, I've actually started enjoying the, um, the easy workouts and because it allows me to give more to my yep. hard workouts. So that's really cool. I would say that's actually one of the things, the, the most important things too, that also myself that I've learned from having a coach is how important those recovery runs are and how important it is for you to learn that you have to be able to run slow in order to be able to run fast and to yeah. let your body just, you know, flush out and, and get all that lactic out and, and to be able to be able to do that, to get back for your next really, really hard run. Cause you can't just go balls to the wall every day. You got to recover. Otherwise you're not going to be able to, you'll just plateau and you won't be able yeah. to continue getting stronger. I'm really faster. frustrated because I wanted to get to like at least 35 miles a week, but it seems like every time I get to over 30 a week, I get injured. So, you know, we would go, I would run five times a week, then we'd up it to six times a week, and then I would get injured. So now we've settled on this place where I run five times one week, six times one week, five times one week, six times one so week. So like 11 times every other, uh, yeah. 11 times every two weeks. That's cool. Yeah. So it seems to work, even though I still would wish I could go more, but at least I'm running. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's really, really cool. And it's very insightful as well. And it's, I think we're, we're learning a lot here. I, I love it. What are uh, some of your next, your next goals? What any, anything that you really want to accomplish where you really got your heart set on? And when I, in the eighties, when I ran the half marathon, I, I was like, I got a book. I was going to run, I got into a program. I was going to run a marathon. And I only, like I said, I made it to the half marathon. It was so painful. I said, screw it. And lately now I'm feeling like when I'm out there running, I feel like I want to keep running. I always feel like I have to quit before I'm ready to quit. So I just, I really, I'm toying when I told him I wanted to run longer distances. I didn't tell him I want to do a marathon because I'm afraid of what he would say, but there's a part of me that would really like to try a marathon. So, so this is the first step to trying the 25 K and we'll see how it goes. You think he would, do you think he would not like be thrilled because of your injuries or do you think he's worried that you would just try and go too fast and, and hurt yourself? Like, what do you think some of his, uh, his reservations are? Oh, it's probably all in my head. Right. Cause I'm oh. like being the dutiful little athlete. <laughs> Cause I personally believe that like, I feel like anybody can go do a marathon as long as yeah. you're willing to accept the fact that, you might not be able to necessarily accomplish this speed or, or this pace yeah. or whatever the case may be. I but guess I'm afraid it's because he's said that, you know, I have to stay at 30 miles a week and I, I suppose you can run a marathon just doing 30 miles a week. I, I, I don't know. I guess I should say something out loud. And uh, every time I think somebody's, it's just old behavior, right? You know, I just imagine yeah. what someone's going to say instead of letting them tell you what they're going to say. I mean, you, you could probably still run a marathon, even running on 30 miles a week. Yeah. You just have to be willing to goal adjust. Like, you know, are you going right, to go out there and right. are you going to run, are you going to run a three hour marathon or right. even a four hour marathon? Probably That's what he not. told me about the 25 K he goes, he goes, well, I think you could do it, but you're really going to have to pace yourself, you know, and go slow. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's, so. it's all, it's all about setting a, uh, a smart goal, strategic, manageable, attainable, realistic, and timely, you know? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So just got to go out there and as long as you're realistic with yourself and, and 
I, I think it's definitely very doable and yeah, go talk, go talk to them. So yeah. what are for, for the listeners out there who are listening to this and, you know, for people that might be struggling, who might be in recovery, but they're thinking about picking up a drink or a drug or for someone who might even still be actively in their addiction right now and looking for a reason to put the drink or the drug down. What can you, Renee, with 17 and a half years, say to these people that'll help them either put the drink or the drug down or, or just not pick it up today? To me, what I hear in my head is talk or die, talk or die. Talking has been so important to me because I can think something's in my head and I know it all. But when I say it out loud and when I say it to somebody else, it just, it helps. It seems ridiculous, but it helps just to talk and get it out there and ask for help. And yeah, that's what I think. Talk or die. I love that. It's been so much fun having you on here today, uh, Renee. Today, Renee, who used to live by the bay, hopefully doesn't <laughs> eat hay. Oh, man, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a rapper. <laughs> what guess. do you say? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, hey, there you go, right off the top. Um, but no, it, it really has been so much fun to be able to chat with you, to hear about your recovery, to hear what got you in and out of the rooms. Uh, to just hear about the journey, all of your experience, strength, and hope, and where you are now, and then to to be able to talk about your running and your goals and and what you're gonna have coming up. It's just it's really fun watching you. You really are an embodiment of recovery. Where you can go as long as you just don't give up and keep putting in. And I, I love the way you said too. It's like something that really hit me today and that I wanted to highlight. It even it made the hairs on my arms pop up. Is when you said that you didn't, you no longer wanted to die. Like you wanted, you wanted to live. And it's like, man. And, and, and I think for me on the outside listening, and I mean, you know, you better obviously, but from hearing your story, it doesn't sound like you ever wanted to die necessarily. I just think there was a, a big part of your life where you almost kind of didn't care if you did. And I say that all the time about people in recovery. It's, um, you know, when we're actively in addiction, I was this way myself too. I never was like suicidal to the point where like, I wanted to think of a plan and I wanted to do this or I wanted to do that. But there was quite a few times where, you know, I was driving home in a thunderstorm and I was like, I'm not going to do anything stupid, but you know, mm -hmm. if, if, if I were to blow out a tire right now or something happened, then, you know, I guess I'm okay with that because I'm tired of being who I am sometimes. And so it was, I wasn't going to act out a plan, but at the same time, if it was, if it was my time, I wasn't, I wasn't completely against it either. So yeah. that's where I was. And I think that's where you were for, for a long time. But, you know, like I said, it's just, it's really awesome to hear when you got to that point where it's, you no longer felt like that you wanted to live. And so that was, that was a key for me here, hearing your story. Cool. Uh, with all that being said, again, thank you so much for being on the show with us today and giving us your time on behalf of all of our social media outlets where everybody might be able to get a chance to hear this. Everybody following along on behalf of everybody in the Facebook group and all of our listeners today, Renee, we want to thank you so much for being on here. Uh, all that we ask from us to you is that you continue staying healthy, continue staying fit. And Renee, tell us how you're doing it. One day at a time. I love it. Thanks, Miguel. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Staying Fit Odette. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.